Hi everyone, welcome to HubShots episode 89. We talk about sales dilution, naming HubSpot workflows, and much, much more. Now this is the podcast for marketing managers or sales professionals who are using HubSpot or are considering using HubSpot. My name is Ian Jacob from Search and Be Found, and with me is my co-host Craig Bailey from Zen Systems. How are you, Craig? Yeah, really good. And looking forward to getting back into the State of Inbound report. You pulled out some nice uh, yes. findings this week. And this is an interesting finding. So our Inbound Thought of the Week is from the State of Inbound 2017 report. And um, we're going to touch on sales challenges. And it says on the sales side, respondents were telling us, Hard to elicit a response from a prospect, close deals, and prospect for leads. And 19% say they're also struggling to incorporate social media in their sales process. And 13% think using sales technology is now harder than it used to be. Yeah, look, I think that last one's a bit strange. I know, very strange because they're they're clearly not using HubSpot. Yeah, I've got to use a mouse. How does this mouse thing work? (laughs) I used to use a pen and a paper. But look, the, the, the one, the, the thing that gets me about these findings and the question that uh, was asked is what is more difficult to do in sales compared to two to three years ago? And I almost think that they should have kind of his answers that aren't allowed or they don't include because the top answer by far was getting a response from prospects. Now, that's kind of, I would have assumed, a no-brainer uh, because getting a response from anyone, whether in sales or customer service or even just Try, actually trying to contact your colleagues at work these days is much harder. There's so many things competing for now, attention. Craig, do you think that's because, and I get heaps of these emails with people with Gmail addresses, which look legitimately from like a company, um, saying, hi, Ian, you know, I'd love to sell you this database because I know you'd like to find more HubSpot leads. And can we make a time to talk? And I just go, well, oh, that was craig at gmail.com. No, thank you. Delete. Well, no, it'll be craig127 at gmail. Yeah, there'll be a number like it's a, it's a giveaway. And, well, that's it. We're getting bombarded with so many more items trying to get our attention. It's no wonder that we're less responsive. And so for a salesperson to say, oh, it's harder to contact prospects. Well, of course. Yeah. But some of the other findings I think are good. Well, of course, closing deals, well, it's getting harder, I guess. But yeah. Um, some of these others I thought were interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, on an overall look, you know, identifying and prospecting good leads was number three. Engaging multiple decision makers in a company was the fourth one down. Avoiding discounting slash negotiation was the next one, which yeah. I thought was interesting. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that in a second. And then the next one was connecting via phone. So does that mean that people are always emailing people? Is that what they're talking about here? Well, no, I think as a salesperson, if you're trying to get someone on the phone, it's getting harder and harder, you know. Yeah. And I don't think it's just because there's more gatekeepers in the way. It's just because, well, I don't answer my phone if I don't know the number. <laughs> exactly. I let everything go to voicemail. Um, I'm in meetings. I'm very, I'm very protective of my time. And I just assume most people are similarly minded. And then they obviously broke it down by region. And why I want to highlight by region, talking about ANZ, Australia and New Zealand, Again, getting a response from a prospect was their number one issue. The second one, which really no one else had in second place, was avoiding a discussion about discounting and negotiation was number two, which I find fascinating. Like, why is that the case? Well, I wonder if that's a cultural thing. I wonder if Australians are pretty much um, trained now to ask for a discount. I think it depends on the, on the industry, right? In enterprise sales, discounting is a key part of it. 
And I wonder if some of this is driven by the HubSpot people down here, down under. I wonder if they're getting hit up for discounts yeah. kind of almost as a default, whereas maybe in the US it's not so much. I don't know. I'm actually just speculating there. But I kind of think some of that temperament comes through. Um, and yeah, you, you know yeah. what? That The thing that we face here is number two is not even in the top six in the in North America. In Asia, it was actually at number three. So uh, that's what really kind of stood out and surprised me. Yeah, interesting cultural insight there. And then number three, which I'll finish with, is identifying and prospecting good leads. That was another key aspect people in Australia and New Zealand found hard to do. All right, on to our HubSpot marketing feature of the week, Craig. You know what? We had this discussion in the HubSpot WhatsApp, uh, the HubShots. (laughs) <laughs> Remember we were chatting there because HubSpot has this uh, event called Grow with HubSpot yes. and we were going to call it Grow with HubShots. We're going to just <laughs> confuse everyone, right? Grow with HubShots. We'll prepare Grow with HubShots T-shirts or anything. Anyway, HubSpot workflow naming. So it came up in the HubShots WhatsApp group. Correct. And it was a good discussion about, you know. Thank um, you, Kelly, for asking that yeah, question. Yeah, a good question. And so, look, I just thought uh, we'd mention just a few things uh, on the show around this. And the question came up, is there a formula for naming your workflows? And my opinion uh, is no, because I think it depends case by case. You know, we've got an e-commerce client. They have one set of naming. We've got a, you know, enterprise B2B. That's different. We've got others, you know. So there's, for the scenarios, the naming is different. However, one key thing, having a naming convention for your workflows is really important. I'll tell you why, because once you start getting up into hundreds of workflows, as we do with some of our customers, Trying to find workflows from a year ago and what was that one and this kind of thing, really hard if it, there was no naming convention. So aim to provide a convention. Maybe it's about the type of workflow. Maybe it's about the audience that it's targeting. Maybe it's about a stage that they're in, a stage of their journey, you know, top of the funnel, whatever. Yeah. Possibly also the goal because we set up sub-workflows for nurture campaigns and so we like to have a library of sub-workflows that we can incorporate into, you know, overview workflows and so some of them we'd like to name with the goal this one's a promotion this one's an education sub workflow this one all those kind of things so depending on what your particular circumstances are incorporate that into the naming i also like to match where possible the smart list names to be very similar convention to workflow names and also emails um, because, you know, in HubSpot, you can have the name of the email, which can be different to the subject line. We actually often like to name the emails, especially if they're nurture emails, so that that all then um, kind of is consistent across them. So I've got a few screenshots there of just examples uh, from some of our portals. Um, we'd love your comments, actually. And Justin, um, thing, thanks for your comment in the WhatsApp group. He said, because he had examples where he uses pipes in the naming. I don't actually do that, but I'm going to do that now. And, exactly. And, then, and, and you can go back and rename your workplace. Exactly. Great and I one. think one of the things here, Craig, it's this is just one part of the system. I think another part, especially when people are starting out, is not organizing your images in folders correctly, not naming them correctly, not organizing emails in folders correctly, and then just getting a massive list of things that's everywhere can cause a massive Massive problem. I think that's right. So the tip is get that worked out early. That's right. Uh, it makes it much easier. All right. On to our marketing tip of the week, Craig. Okay. Check your Gmail filters. Okay. Here's, here's one. I, so I, I love setting up um, Gmail filters that, you know, email comes in, checks subject line or whatever, puts it in a folder. 
Sometimes they skip the inbox. Sometimes they actually mark them as read. Anyway, I get notifications of leads from our different, you know, portals we look after. And I actually found that my own Zen agency portal, I had a filter. I was just putting it in a file. I was missing all these leads coming through. And so, luckily you changed that this evening because you actually got a really good lead. No, I was just like, dull. So why is this a, a marketing tip of the week? It's like learn from my silly mistake because I know lots of people use filters. So after this episode, here's your takeaway. Go and check your filters in Gmail or Outlook or whatever. That's right. I encourage you to do that periodically. Just have a review of where things are going. And just sec because you could be missing out on leads and never seeing them and actioning them. It's happened to me too. So I'm not going to point fingers. Thank you. <laughs> All right. On to our HubSpot sales feature of the week, Craig. And this is more to do with terminology updates. And we only discovered this while we're creating different um, contact views that we were using. We were like, you asked me questions like, where is this? I'm like, what? Here's the tip for listeners. If you're... If you actually think fields go missing, uh, check for if they've just made the terminology uh, more consistent because there will be things like recent conversion date, might have been called last conversion date or last visit and last and recent, but they're getting more consistent now. And the other one that they've, I think this is still inconsistent. They'll have previous month and last month, depending on whether which report you're in and things like that. So if you suddenly can't find the fields you're after, no, you're not going mad. It just means HubSpot's getting much more consistent. So there you go. All right. On to our opinion of the week, Craig. And we're going to talk about sales dilution. Which is a new term that you've come up with. <laughs> yes, I have. This is golf. And I was telling you about a, a particular um, group we were talking to and they wouldn't allow certain marketing features because it resulted in brand dilution yes and i was like well we, we want to drive leads we know this will work oh no we can't do that because that dilutes the brand we're like well no one knows this brand right and it's <laughs> I, anyway the, I, it's kind of and a not, frustrating yes yeah, yeah. so no get us more leads okay here's how we're going to do it kind of thing no you can't do that i was like ah oh. so you came up with this term oh you're weighing, <laughs> comparing brand dilution with sales dilution. I thought that was gold. I <laughs> know <laughs> oh, oh if we do that, we'll dilute the sales. That's right. And I think there's this, the, while we're talking about this, I think there's this medium where you've actually got to figure out what is possible and what you should be doing versus talking about like brand dilution and actually making no sales and then killing your business. So, I think there's this happy medium. We've actually got to work in unison and and figure out what you can and can't do, but not always accepting no that this can't be done because there's nothing worse than a business owner sitting with a whole bunch of stock or not making sales and going backwards every month because they're just missing their targets because they're diluting their brand. Oh, they saved the brand and just lost and the killed everything else. <laughs> Yeah, and look, I think brand is important. So I'm not saying brand isn't important. Exactly. But, but you nailed it with sales dilution. So um, looking forward to using that in, in a in status. In your next meeting. Up, in a meeting, I'm going to say, oh, we've used um, synergistic strategies to incorporate a reduction in sales dilution. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, on to our creative top 10 of the week, Craig. And this is... You're right. You're, you, were, you were putting this challenge out to me. Yes. My challenge to you is 10 creative ideas for launching a new product to an existing customer base. Well, Craig, as I'm about to start, I'm only going to give you nine. 
Number 10 is up for discussion. Well, I love number nine, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) All right, hit me. All right, so here's one you can do. Set an expectation with an email to announce that you were so excited about a new product that is about to launch. Setting expectation and preparing people for what's to come. Do you want to talk about why that's important? Yeah, absolutely. As opposed to just the email arrive announcing. Absolutely. I think when you were describing this to me, it just made me reflect and think, you actually prepare people for a message that's about to arrive. And so they have that expectation that it is something great, something new and exciting, as opposed to, ah, oh, I got that and it was in something new. So I think it's about framing your expectation. It is. It's, that's a really good way of doing it. Yeah, priming or framing the response, how they'll respond to it. Yes. Number two is use retargeting on your customer base so that they see glimpses of the new product. So I'll take a step back. I assume that this is a physical product. And so I based all of my top 10 around that. So I thought this is another great way to get in front of people. So you can do this. The next step I say, you know, put some teaser photos in an email and show a bit of the product um, and even some of the development that you've gone through to get it there. So without actually showing the product, but showing some sort of testing. I think um, VW did something like this for the Amarok where they had camouflaged it with something that looked totally different. And then when they released Amarok, they actually showed what they used in the testing where everyone was taking all these pictures of this car that looked so different. People are like, what is that? Like, Right. Amarok, is that a model of car, is it? Yes. it's a. Should course, I know that? No, right. you should. It's a ute. It's a very popular ute called the VW Amarok. Oh, right. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, number four, create a video of people talking about the product but not mentioning what it is, so maybe highlighting how it's helped them. And um, do it in an intriguing manner. So people go, what, what are they talking about? You know, I want to see this. Kind of creates a bit of suspense, but you can use that in marketing pre-go live. Two months before the launch, um, have an event where you announce it to people and they can maybe experience it. So I was thinking more about this is a bit like Apple, you know, announcing a product. And then they give everybody that turns up at the event opportunity to have a play with it. And then the next part was actually take pre-orders and put a sale. So you can do this in many different ways. You can, like or Apple does, you can take the pre-order, build them when the product ships, or you can do something like what Tesla does, you know, put a deposit down that's refundable, and if you want the car, we'll deliver it to you. Otherwise, you can take your money back. Yeah, or even making the pre-orders only available to customers, existing customers. Kind exactly. Of exclusivity, yeah, nice. All right, um, give the product, to potential vocal and well-known customers who can use it, share how they use it and how it helped them and actually use them to help you promote at launch time. So I thought that was another good um, idea. Next one is have a customer experience events after launch so people can experience, try it and talk about it. And the final one I had, which is number nine, was HubSpot had a great <laughs> blog post on elements of a flawless product launch and then actually gone through the phases of doing it. What I actually, why I searched it when I got stuck at number eight, why I'm telling you this is I've given, we've kind of given lots of high level ideas. This really kind of broke it down into pre, pre launch in launching and post launch. Even said, you know, like it really tied it back to what we understand and what we do. It's like, 
focus on a persona, make sure you've got consistent messaging, make sure you've got great imagery to go with it. And there were actually heaps of really good things in that article that I went, that's actually really good. And that's why I'm sharing it here. Because this kind of like will probably tie all of what we're talking about together. I'll just remind you, it's the 10 creative ideas. (laughs) And number 10 over to you, Craig. No, no, number 10. (laughs) You've got to flex your creative muscle here. Live on air. Live on on air. Putting it on the spot. (laughs) Listeners are going to wait. Okay, I've got number 10. Give it to me. I know it's 10 o'clock at night, but. Number 10, you can actually send an SMS to all of your um, customers and this is another touch point not sms saying that to get ready for an exciting product launch that's a great idea sms perfect fantastic all right craig on to our book of the week tools of titans by tim ferris i love this book you've read this book i have from end to end it's and fantastic. i started reading it are you liking it you enjoying I it i am yeah any kind of current takeaways a little little while since i read it but yeah it has been but it's a very chunky look. I'll tell you, it's a very chunky book, and I and I, and I was reading. And I put it down for the last two weeks. I can't recall anything. I'll tell you how it's structured. It's it's healthy, wealthy, and wise. It's kind of the way it's structured. It three parts, and the first, the third is about health, almost health hacks, body hacks, and then uh, it talks about wealth in terms of investing and you know product development and thinking creatively and things like that, and then uh, also wisdom and approaches. And he. He bases it on his interviews and podcasts with, well, hundreds, literally hundreds of people. I found it so useful in terms of making me consider different ways. Some that I would never take, like some of the body hacks and the things that people do. Yeah. I'm never going to do it. I do remember the thing about having cold showers. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was probably on the tame side. Some of them were quite strange. But uh, I find it fascinating because, you know, I've been reading a lot about this whole idea of um, body hacks uh, and especially you've, you see a lot of the Silicon Valley people doing this and you don't know whether they're just crazy on, on a fad or whether there's something behind it, whether mm. they're But I think the technology and the way that people are looking at their bodies and, you know, having kind of like real-time blood sampling and, you know, the glucose and all of these kind of factors and measurement, feeding that back into, you know, health and fitness and all these things that they're doing, I find it very interesting because... If you don't read it in books like this, you're never exposed to it. And I think that's going to be the norm in five years. And we're kind of stuck behind just with the old ways of, you know. So a book like this exposes you to new ideas. And I think it helps you kind of assimilate a whole bunch of different things that just make you more creative and, yeah, ready to experience more things. So it's a fantastic book. All right. On to our resource of the week, Craig. And this is is something that was announced recently. It's... um, Australia now has its own Think with Google site. And this site is fantastic. I use it pretty much weekly. You can actually find lots of insights and data you need on different parts of what's happening in Google. Like, for example, what's happening in shopping, um, certain tests that people have done. So how have people used certain products to reach other people? Uh, Great insights. I got a great one about insights into automotive, how people shop when looking for cars and some of the really great statistics that Google had collected and put into a report. Wow. We should uh, pull out some of those in future episodes. Absolutely. Because they're really interesting. Yeah, so they're really interesting. It's a great site. But why I'm highlighting this because it used to be a part of the global site that Google had and now they've got a dedicated Australian site just for this part. Right, fantastic. And finally, onto our quote of the week, Craig, from Timothy Ferris. And this is from the book, 
The world is changed by your example, not by your opinion. It's all about the doing, isn't walk it? Walk the walk, <laughs> not just talk the talk. Exactly. Well, everybody, thank you for listening to us. We'd love you to join our WhatsApp group and join our Facebook group and be a part of the conversation. If you'd like to do that, we'd love to hear from you. Have we asked listeners for, to review our show lately? No. We should. Please review this podcast. It'd be so iTunes. good. Thank you. We would love that. And we've had a few and we've, we very much appreciate them. On that happy note, thank you to all our listeners who faithfully listen to us every week. We hope you get value. And if you'd love to, for us to talk about something else or you'd love to hear about something new, let us know. Until next time, Craig. Catch you later, Ian. Hey there. Thanks for listening to this episode of Hubshots. For show notes and the latest HubSpot news and tips, please visit us at hubshots.com.